Project A podcast. Hello and welcome to the Project A Founders podcast. With this episode focusing on commercialization, which includes everything uh, from marketing, sales and data. My name is Anastasia and I'm the head of marketing here at Project A and your host today. Our team helps our portfolio companies with anything from customer acquisition to growth and customer engagement. And here with me today is Sophie Chung, founder and CEO of Kuna Medical, one of our portfolio companies in the healthcare space. Thanks for joining us today. Our topic today, how to crack the healthcare market one patient at a time. As you uh, know, the healthcare industry is a rather complex environment to operate in and to acquire patients, especially in Europe. So we are going to talk about some of the challenges and pitfalls of marketing in such a complex environment. How do you build trust as a healthcare company? How do you acquire patients? How do you review clinicians? These are the questions we are going to touch upon today. So stay tuned. But first of all, Sophie, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your company's vision and how the product works. Absolutely. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Sophie. I'm the CEO and founder of Cuno Medical. We are a Berlin-based digital health platform. Um, I myself, I used to be a doctor and a stem cell researcher. I come from the industry basically, but then decided to join the dark side and switch to um, to, to business, I worked in management consulting. I worked for uh, ZocDoc in New York, another digital health unicorn. And um, approximately five years ago, uh, I came back to Berlin and started CUNA Medical. At CUNA Medical, our vision is to create a healthier um, world where health um, and access to healthcare is not a privilege anymore to many people, but a given fact. And the thing is that, you know, when you look at different healthcare systems globally, you will find out that no healthcare system is perfect. But um, our idea at Kino Medical is to combine the best out of each healthcare system onto one platform and make this accessible to patients. And this is what we do at Kino Medical. We are helping patients finding the right doctor, not just at home, but also worldwide. Great, thank you. So I would like um, to actually start by asking you, what are the medical procedures that are currently in high demand on your platform? So um, on our platform, people or patients are looking for um, what we call middle to higher complexity treatments. So we are not in the primary care field. So if you have sore throat or tummy ache, um, those are relatively simple things. Um, this is not what we are good at. We're good at um, yeah, major surgeries, major interventions, major di diagnostics. So um, those fields include um, things in fertility, uh, weight loss, uh, dentistry, plastic surgery. Um, these are kind of the yeah, the main treatment categories at the moment, but of course we are always looking to add and grow more. All right, and um, I would, from my understanding, you uh, would also like to move from this more, let's say, beauty-oriented, uh, privately paid medical treatments like 
you said um and and to maybe more necessary surgeries um to make sure that people get quicker more affordable high quality uh treatments and that's a, quite a transition to make uh, I, I would think so how are you planning uh, to do this because i mean the european healthcare market is super diverse you have in germany the um, kind of the public and private uh, system in in the uk you have the nhs um in france yet another very state centric uh, approach um in in sweden a very kind of regional uh, and state level approach so how do you um how will you tackle this Yeah, so first, um, let me just uh, quickly um, comment on the categorization of, of, of treatments. So, yes, we are not in the emergency space. We are not, you know, good at um, sending an ambulance or a helicopter somewhere. But the treatment categories that I just mentioned, like uh, fertility or dentistry, or weight loss, are treatment categories that are very important for a lot of people and um, are are very life improving and life saving for a lot of people as well. Um, and I think, of course, we want to also move into more complex treatments into, um, as you mentioned, more um, kind of less elective, more medical, uh, medically oriented treatments. Um, but for us, or for me, it's, it's, it's not, a, it doesn't mean a real shift in business model. Because the thing is that You know, when you when you say the markets are different, that's right. But when you look at it from a patient's perspective, and this is what we do, we are a patient's first company. The patient problem in its core is always the same. The patient problem is how do I get to make the right decision for myself when it comes to choosing the right doctor? And that is universal in any healthcare system worldwide. Let me give you a quick example. So um, I had I had my baby um, this year, uh, last year, um, 11 months ago, and f medically I had I had to I had to go for a C-section, and um, I as a you know medical doctor I knew that there are quality differences between different surgeons and different doctors who would cut me open, and I was uh, I decided on a hospital in Berlin and I tried to figure out which doctor is going to cut me open on that given day? Because that was important to me. That was a life event. I didn't want to take any chances. I wanted to have the best doctor I could trust who would deliver my baby and operate on me. And that was a thing of impossibility. I could not find a data source. I could not find a reliable place where I could research doctors in that particular hospital and make my own decision. All I was being told was, you come to the hospital that day and whoever is going to be on the shift and whoever uh, is going to have capacity is going to do the C-section. And that is something I think we need to change and the mindset and the attitude and also the expectation for the healthcare system. Of course, you know, I was in the lucky position to have a good network as a doctor. I could do my research by asking around. And in the end, I did get to choose the doctor. But again, I was in a very lucky and privileged position. And that shouldn't be, you know, that's not the norm for many patients. And that's what we're trying to change. And that is something I think that applies to every healthcare system. Yeah, and you mentioned a, a very important thing here, um, which is the the trust factor, right? So um, I would think that 
if I need a recommendation for a doctor, I would ask friends or I would uh, maybe ask friends that are doctors. So word of mouth uh, plays a, a very important role here and the trust factor plays a very important role here. And um, maybe you can think back from um, at the time where you, when you started off and nobody knew uh, what Kuno Medical was. How do you build that trust in this healthcare environment where nobody knows you and you're just starting off, basically? Yeah, that's. I mean, trust is the most important thing that we do at Kuno Medical. There's the saying that our product is trust. All we do is building trust. The technology, the product, the service, all of that has to kind of contribute to the larger overall product and that's building trust and that is one of the main things that needed to be present from the very beginning so how did we do that i think trust is something you you know you have to earn and work really hard for that's not something you can buy you cannot you know throw marketing money onto something and and kind of accelerate your the, the trust level that you get uh, that that you will receive i think trust is something you will earn at every interaction a customer and in our case a patient has with you and the way we thought about this at the very beginning was who do you trust usually in your life it's as you mentioned family it's friends you know why do you trust them it's because they treat you a certain way it's not just because they are family you might have family members you might not trust right um, so it's not because um, you share the same bloodline or the same genetics it's because of the way you are being treated by, uh, by by certain people. So how, how are you being treated by them? It's they're honest to you. They take you seriously. They respect you. They um, react to what you what your action is, what your ask is, what your question is. Um, they um, are genuine and all these things. So we started with really asking ourselves, what does trust really mean? And who do you trust? And what leads you or what leads you to trusting a particular person or a particular service or thing? And by instilling that or distilling that, this, these are kind of the factors we are trying to build into our patient experience. And it starts with things like design. Right? So our company corporate color, for example, is yellow. Um, and you might expect, you know, a digital health company to have a color more like turquoise or green or blue. But on purpose, we chose something that stood out because that creates attention. And of course, you don't want to st stand out in a bad way, but we want it to be different from the very beginning. We want it to be different from the very first interaction a patient sees us. And the expected thing was blue or green or yeah, um, or, or turquoise, but we chose yellow. Um, the second part, for example, is to you know really value each interaction a patient has with you on the website, um, through the customer service center, um, through each email, through each SMS, um, all these things that really put a little bit of magic into this, always come with the surprise factor. So as an example, when you send a request, um, a treatment request to Cuda Medical, during the day, we call you back within five minutes. Our SLA is five minutes. And usually it's less than that. 
So we call you back almost instantly. Sometimes we even have patients who are still typing because it's a it's a two-step conversion funnel in, in our case. And while the, the patient has kind of already converted and we're was typing in the second part, we already called them. And that's kind of the magic moment that we are creating. And I think those are the little things that build trust along the whole patient life cycle. Interesting, yeah, that um, totally makes sense. And um, I, I think you're, you're doing a great job there. Um, what, what I would, like to know also with regards to marketing obviously because that's our our kind of core topic today there's a lot that you cannot do in the healthcare marketing space so my experience is that you always have to watch out uh, for policy regulations on platforms like google and facebook you have to uh, be careful what you say in your creatives you cannot show uh, symptoms um, regulators are always watching you. I mean, maybe um, maybe in your case is not that uh, that evident, but for example, one of our other co portfolio companies, Cru, um, because they're also operating in the public healthcare space, uh, they were always being watched what they say in their creatives, uh, so that they, they don't create any kind of costs in the system. The, and there's obviously a lot of data as well that you cannot share, you cannot do retargeting. So how do you approach that in terms of your uh, marketing strategy? Um, yeah, how, how do you tackle this, uh, these challenges? And what are also maybe some of the issues that you had to deal with in the past? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you're bringing up a couple of important uh, points when it comes to marketing in the healthcare field. Our approach is a multi-channel approach. I think generally the times are over where, you know, you can rely on one or two major channels where you throw money onto Google and then you can grow your company. I think those times are over um, and especially also in healthcare. So when you look at where we market, it's, it's a list of, you know, 10 to 12 channels, I would say. And it starts, of course, with Google with Facebook, but also all the social media channels like Instagram and uh, and uh, YouTube. Uh, we work with affiliates. We work with influencers. We do PR, um, of course, you know SEO and all these things. So I think in the end, a marketing, a digital marketing strategy nowadays is quite fragmented, and in you know in in most cases, of course, probably. Um, um, exceptions apply here, but in most cases, it's it's multi-channel and it's quite fragmented because, in the end, we always say you have to be where the user is, and the user nowadays is not only on Google anymore or it's not only on Facebook anymore. Your user is everywhere, and I think this is this is where you have to meet them and this is where you have to pick them up. So that's one part that you know we have kind of established in the past few years to not just bank on one channel, but also diversify. Um, on the other hand, of course, as you mentioned, there are also limitations to it. And I remember this one time we wanted to launch, I think it was a, a Google campaign with, with a landing page and Google would not approve it. And we could not figure out why it was. And it would always tell us, you know, something on the landing page um, goes against their regulations. And it was I, I can't tell you which treatment that was. It was probably for hair transplant or so something very, you know, very simple, very non-problematic. And in the end, we found out that there was 
the term Botox somewhere hidden on that landing page because you know sometimes you use Botox for, for other things as well. And we were in a position where we kind of had to decide or make the trade-off on removing that and showing incomplete medical information to our patients to kind of be compliant with Google guidelines or kind of ditch the campaign. And I think, you know, that is something where that also shows how less developed digital health is in the general kind of in the general industry, because, you know, Botox is something that is a very established thing um, in medicine and has been used for decades and decades and can be very safe. And so there is no, there, there, there is no logical explanation why we wouldn't be able to show it. But, you know, I think the algorithms and the rules were written in a, in a time and day where digital health wasn't as, as strong and as, as diversified as, as it, it is today. So yes, you do get to limitations, but also in the end, you, you know, you can work around it and you have, again, you know, different channels where you can rely on and can then uh, switch to other places where you can find your patients. Yeah, that was also my experience with Google. So we had actually a landing page that was talking about uh, prescriptions. And obviously the prescriptions were uh, prescribed by the doctor on, on the Google platform in that case. And then, um, but then um, per Google policy, uh, you are not allowed to advertise prescriptions if you're not an online pharmacy and you've been certified by Google. So obviously, <laughs> Cru is not an online pharmacy, but a platform uh, for uh, where you can talk to a doctor via video. And um, yeah, they couldn't categorize us, so which was a super funny kind of because we weren't fitting any any category here yeah. so um it, and we also had to remove uh, stuff from the landing page yeah yeah it's it's super frustrating right because the rules don't make any sense and you know in the end the patient is the loser here because patients have less choice and they have less accessibility to doctors um in your case or or in our case so i think you know that is something that we see quite often and not just in the case of google but also you know healthcare regulations and things like these that don't work with what's going on in the digital world right now and what's going on in the innovation that's being brought to the market and i think that is something i mean probably not the topic of, of, of this podcast but um on the regulatory side i think you know um people start realizing that there is a new wave of of healthcare innovation coming in and hopefully um, this, you know, this will change soon so that um, the ecosystem is not, is not limited by its growth only because the regulations and laws were written in a time where you know, people couldn't, couldn't envision and couldn't fantasize about what's possible today. Mm, yeah, certainly. So um, if, if we go a bit in more detail on, on your, what your customer journey looks like, um, how how do people i mean i would think that obviously someone that uh, needs a surgery is and and is willing to go abroad uh, to maybe get better medical treatment or cheaper medical treatment it will start on on uh, googling something so is that usually how how the customer journey starts or how how can you walk me through that maybe and what yeah. are the touch points yeah so the customer journey, of course, always starts with 
a problem. And the problem, as you just mentioned, is somebody needs medical treatment and has difficulties accessing this. This can be because of price, because it's too expensive. This can be because the wait times are too long, for example. Um, or this can be because you just frankly don't know where to find that doctor or that kind of specialist doesn't exist in, in your vicinity. So it starts with the problem. And then, you know, the question is, where does the patient go then? Um, one option is he or she goes onto the internet and Googles it, or he or she asks around uh, in the offline world and word of mouth. So those are kind of the two, the two entryways, the two main entryways of, of patients um, kind of getting into, into researching treatment options. But also, you know, don't underestimate the amount of people who are researching on YouTube or on Facebook nowadays, it's, it's huge. And there are many groups and there are many videos and things like this. So really, again, you know, YouTube, um, uh, Google is, is one channel, but you know, people go on Reddit and it's, they are everywhere trying to quora, try, trying to find information. And um, so this is where, where the, the digital patient journey then starts. Um, by being present, uh, people end up um, on Cuno Medical. And again, this can be through different channels, um, paid or, or unpaid um, marketing strategies, and can research their treatment options on our website. You, and, and the major difference on, on Cuno Medical to many other places that do similar things is that we put the doctor into the center of the patient research because it's not enough to just choose a facility it's not enough to just choose a hospital you need to choose the doctor you need to choose the doctor who is good at what you need it's not enough to choose an orthopedic surgeon you need to choose an orthopedic surgeon who is specialized on knee surgeries or on hip surgeries so you know we take this to we take two levels further than the normal patient experience would be. And the normal patient experience would choosing would be choosing a hospital um, in its best case, and that's it. Um, and so our goal is to provide as much information and as much transparency around a treatment option for patients. That includes price, that includes doctor information, um, that includes other options, um, in other countries and other places. And um, also patients have then the um, opportunity to get in touch with us or our doctors. So either through our telemedicine service um, where they can you know, speak to a doctor for a second opinion in a different country, but is the leading specialist for it, or they can get in touch with our patient manager team to kind of um, get more information for this specific case. Um, all of that is fully automated. Um, we are using kind of an in-house built technology to do so. Um, and through our service, patients can um, connect with doctors and hospitals worldwide to book an appointment or a treatment for whatever problem they have. Um, the nice thing about Cuno Medical is we are a one-stop shop. So when a patient books a treatment through our platform, he or she books everything at once. So that includes the full treatment, that includes anesthesia, that includes medication, that includes hotel stay if you need to travel uh, abroad, and that includes um, ground transfer. We, do, we want to make it as seamless and as, as simple and easy as possible for a patient to get better again. And um, so that's kind of what our approach is. The patient journey is fully integrated. Um, it's with Cuno Medical end-to-end. And um, in the end, you know, a patient goes, gets the treatment, comes back, and usually 
um, you know, we see those patients again coming back for other treatments as well. So also that's the nice thing that our patient journey doesn't end. We'd like to, you know, be with the patient from the very beginning to the end throughout the whole life cycle. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, you you mentioned also something important there, the the that you need to provide a lot of information. And I'm curious to to see how um, who is writing that content? Uh, first of all, do you have like a medical uh, medical writers? Do you have a, a doctor that is like approving all the content? Um, and and I mean this is super crucial also um, for Google uh, and uh, SEO, right? Um, because it includes your money, your life keywords. So and there's been also an, a new initiative by Google uh, that rank. Uh, official government pages higher than commercial ones. I mean, now the, the Munich uh, Regional Court has actually uh, temporarily banned uh, this cooperation between the federal government and, and Google. But I mean, let's see how this kind of develops, right? Um, it, there, there is a fair point um, to say, let's um, prioritize official information versus um, commercial information where there's a lot of content out there of course that is uh, maybe not um, as high quality so how do you make sure your content is really um, high standard and then also did you see any kind of uh, changes in rankings or or, or so uh, with regards to this new initiatives yeah absolutely i think you know, I, I see this also as highly problematic for Google to to kind of prioritize official websites over non-official websites. On the other hand, also, you know, I as an internet user myself, I, you know, seeing and also being coming from the industry, seeing all those SEO optimized uh, uh, articles all the time where I know that, you know, somebody has written this just to be just to be able to rank, but rather rather that than providing real, true, fact-based information. And I think this is this is the challenge Google is, is facing at the moment. So on the, on the one hand, you know, I think it's highly problematic, but on the other hand, I do welcome their initiatives because I do think it's 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 hugely problematic. Um, and we've done our research ourselves, especially on on medical websites. When you you know you Google something on a on the treatment, you get the same information on all of those websites that rank on page one on Google, and none of them are factually precise and correct. And that's that's a problem. So hopefully, you know, Google will, I mean, they are smart enough to hopefully figure out how to differentiate that. We at Cuno Medical, we follow our approach to create unique, fact-based, medically correct content. So all the content that you see on Cuno Medical is written by ourselves. What I mean by that is we do have a an internal um, content team that writes it. Sometimes in earlier days, where you know we were smaller, we would also um, partner with 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 content agencies who are specialized on medical content. That that's just for transparency reason. Um, but at the moment, we write everything ourselves. We have a medical affairs team headed by um, um, Professor Rüdiger Heikapel, who is um, you know a, a chief doctor in a large um, Berlin-based hospital, who kind of heads everything that 
comes with medical content within Kuno Medical. So that, that's not what only what we show on our website with SEO, but also, you know, what all the patient materials and, and, and emails that we send and things like these. So for us, um, and also for me as a doctor personally, it's really, really important that the content we put out there is, is medically correct and fact-checked and something that patients can rely on. So when you go on our pages, we often get the critique that the pages are relatively long and relatively wordy for, you know, and, and if you want to, and something that's closer to kind of B2C e-commerce things. And that's right. But at the same time, I want patients to, you know, have a place and that's Kino Medical to actually go and get real information. Um, so that's kind of, you know, how we treat um, content. Of course, we are also very conscious uh, about SEO because as, you know, we just talked about that's a, an important um, acquisition channel, but we make sure that um, the, the articles are all checked um, sometimes though. Um, and that's kind of part of, I think, a day-to-day -day, uh, things a slip. And for example, the other day we, we found, you know, a word, kind of that from a, a, a treatment um, on a different treatment page that was not supposed to be on there. And that's because humans write it and sometimes they mix things up. So things like these, we still sometimes find and then we have to correct it. Um, but on the other hand, it's, yeah, it's because, you know, we write every article ourselves and sometimes there is a little mistake in there. Yeah, but I think um, also that it's super important that really either you have a medical writer um, or you have a doctor that is going through the content again and checking whether it's factually correct. Um, otherwise, there's no way you can you can build trust and you can also gain a high ranking within that um, category of your money, your your life keywords. Um, yeah, so um, what I also wanted you to ask, um, because we touched upon, you know, word of mouth and um, uh, friends uh, being, um, yeah, referring uh, doctors. So you do have a referral program. Um, I know that. So how, how many new customers does this channel usually bring? Is that one of your best performers? Um, and, and are you also using a particular tool uh, for that? And how does it work in general? So we, um, maybe just for transparency reason, we, we use Salesforce as our CRM tool. So a lot of things that we use are kind of integrated with Salesforce and kind of adjusted or customized. Um, and also for referrals, this is just, you know, kind of an extension that um, we use as a tool um, to, to manage our referrals. Um, referrals is something that is very important to us. And uh, we do get, I can't give you a number at this point, but it's, it's a reasonable amount every month uh, in terms of um, revenue or top line, if you want. So that comes through patient referrals. And that's, I think, you know, one of the strongest signs for us. Um, about the quality of our product and um, that that we are on the right track. We, to be quite honest, it took us a while to introduce a referral program because you know at the beginning I was always of the opinion that you don't need a referral program that if your product is good enough and mind blowing enough people will refer um, kind of their family and friends by themselves and I was kind of I don't know if that was and naive founder pride or so like no we you know we don't need a program they will come by us themselves and they did 
But what if referral program does it? It catalyzes um, that process because it nudges the patient and say, hey, you know, if, if you want to do something good to for your friends and family, you could do this and that. And, you know, you're creating a win-win situation for all of uh, all of you um, uh, involved. And I think this is this is what a referral program does. I don't think that somebody would refer another customer to ours or another patient to us just because there's this referral program for that we don't you know we don't pay enough we don't we don't advertise this enough i just think this is just another you know little friendly nudge and a a a a promoter for people who would have done this anyways and therefore you know we we put that in place um and something that we're continue to to build out and to put um focus on but um I don't think, again, I don't think a referral program will work if your product is shitty. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So how, how much um, uh, do you incentivize customers to refer uh, your product? I mean, it, it's it's still it's still probably cheaper than uh, spending money on, um, I don't know, uh, Facebook, Google, or even more upper funnel um, to, to do the, to, yeah. Start yeah. with referral. I mean, for sure, it's cheaper, and for sure, the unit economics uh, for referred cases are, you know, are are amazing and 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 are great. Um, just to put this into context, each booking on Cuno Medical or each treatment that a patient books is in the thousands of euros, right? So, like our basket sizes are relatively high, and um, our referral program, I think, for the referrer. Um, they will get, if I'm not mistaken, 100 or 200 euros, and that's split in two. So if you refer a patient, <clears throat> another patient, um, I think you would get either 50 or 100 euros, and then your friend would get another 50 or 100 euros. So it's it's really not much in the grand scheme of things. It will help you, you know, pay for your plane ticket. It will help you pay for your next restaurant visit with with your friend or your loved ones. And this is kind of how we look at it. We are not trying to, you know, incentivize people to send us more people if they don't feel like this is this is a good thing to do. All right. Yeah, totally understood. Um, so uh, obviously you're a two-sided market marketplace and with any two-sided marketplace it's it's quite difficult to balance supply and demand and you uh, obviously need to acquire uh, clinicians on on the supply side so and you're working with uh, clinics that have capacity and that are actually interested in acquiring new patients um so the the in in my view, there there doesn't seem to be a, a huge cha challenge on that uh, side. But when it comes to evaluating doctors, um, um, reviews are quite subjective, right? So if I had a surgery, I can only assume, yeah, it went well. I felt quite good about it because the doctor said the surgery went well, everything is good. So can, how can you make sure that you have high quality doctors on the platform and how do you evaluate them? Um, and can you actually uh, ob objectify uh, sort of uh, doctor ratings uh, or is it not really possible in its reviews from patients? Well, I think to a large extent you can objectify it. So 
Um, yes, you're right. One review is completely subjective. But a thousand reviews on one single doctor from a thousand patients, you can objectify a couple of things in here. And I think this is this is one important thing to understand. And in the end, and you know, there's also this term of evidence-based medicine um, in, 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 in medicine, that in the end, you know, if it works, it's good. And who better to judge if something worked or not than the patient himself or herself? I think, you know, we need to stop underestimating the decision power of patients for their own bodies and for their own well-being and for their health. And when I, you know, even when I worked as a doctor, if I could make a patient happy, if, if I could make somebody feel better about themselves and about their treatment and about their disease again, this can be a good endpoint for judging on whether something has worked or not. And just don't get me wrong, this is not the only data point we're looking at. But I often get that, oh, patient reviews are subjective. They don't know, they don't know if it worked or not. They have no idea about medicine and things like this. No, they do know. They do know themselves. They do know their bodies. They have they have dealt with that disease or that problem for years or decades. They know when they feel better. Um, and I think you know that is something that's that we need to we we need to be very aware of. So yes, one one patient review is subjective, but a thousand patient reviews are not subjective anymore. So we do put a lot of emphasis on 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 creating patient reviews. And you know, to uh, 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 a topic we talked about um, before, it also creates a ton of trust with other patients to hear others talk about their experiences. But also, of course, we want to be also fact-based and data-driven. So we do collect um, as much data as we can from the doctors and hospitals we work with. And that starts with um, very obvious things such as case numbers, complication rates, um, things like these, um, years, you know, years in, in practice. Um, we look at accreditations and certifications. We look at memberships of special societies. We look at um, engagement with the scientific um, or scientific engagement, and that is very different from, from treatment category to treatment category. But we also look at kind of correlation factors that talks about process um, quality. So we look at, you know, what the turnaround times are. We look at um, how doctors set prices for themselves. And, you know, doctors always set prices, no matter whether they work with public insurances or, or private insurances, there's always some sort of price schedules um, and slightly different from, from, from system to system. But, you know, that's a good indicator on, 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 on seeing what the process discipline of, of a practice or, or a hospital is. So there are many things that you can look at. And I think the important thing, as I said, you know, one review means nothing but a thousand reviews, but also with factors. You know, one factor doesn't mean anything, but if you add a lot of kind of cor correlation or quality factors over each other, you can become quite precise on identifying the better doctors from the, the doctors you might not want to work with. Okay, so you kind of have your internal list of criteria that you go through and then you reach out to the, yeah, the best doctors and, and, and clinics directly and, and try to bring them on the platform. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not just a list of criteria. There's, of course, also some weighing logic behind that and prioritization logic um, and things like these. Some some founders might call it an algorithm. I think, you know, it's it's not as complex yet to 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 describe it as an algorithm, but it's it's a proprietary scoring logic that allows us to identify the doctors we want to onboard onto our platform and offer to to our patients.
Interesting. Yeah, and you actually have a very high NPS. Uh, that's what I heard one of the, yeah, maybe even the highest uh, in the industry. So how did you uh, manage to achieve that? And why why is that in such a complicated topic? Yeah, so our, our net promoter score NPS is at 85, um, which we've been, you know, quite proud of. And it has constantly been above 80 since the very beginning. It's been, you know, between 85 and 87 most of the time. Um, how did we achieve it? With, as I said at the beginning, with everything we do. I think, you know, net promoter score or, or patient trust um, or whatever you want to call it doesn't come with just one thing. It comes with every single interaction point you have and do with the patient. And it starts with how they find you, how you treat them, but also, quite frankly, the quality of our network, the quality of our doctors. Um, and I think that's, you know, one of the most important thing that we value quality over quantity. So for us, it's not so important to have a thousand doctors on our platform. For us, it's important to have the best doctors on our platform because this is what creates trust. This is what gets the patient better. This is what makes them send us more of their family and friends. Um, so I think... You know, the net promoter score is just a nice KPI to measure. But in the end, it's it's the sum of everything that we do. Hmm. Yeah, quite impressive. Um, 85 uh, is NPS. So uh, we have to come to an end. And I have two uh, roundup questions for you. So first of all, yeah, we're in the midst of a pandemic still. And uh, we always ask um, our ventures and our, our podcast guests how they're dealing uh, with, uh, with the current challenges. So how is Kuno Medical doing um, with all the travel restrictions? Do people still travel for medical purposes? Yes. So um, we are dealing with the pandemic. I would say, you know, people like to really categorize um, into losers and winners of the pandemic at the moment. I'm not, I'm not so fond of this categorization, but if you, you would apply this to us, we are in the middle. We are neither, neither winners nor losers. Or maybe, yeah, so you know, we, our, our business is, is up and running. We're, we are fully operational. Um, we are growing again. The one thing is that we probably, we, we're not growing as fast as we could, to be quite honest, because you know, of everything that is going on. What people always think is when they look at our business is that people can't travel and people cannot go and see doctors anymore. And that is wrong. What is not possible at the moment is traveling for leisure or traveling for, you know, for fun. But you, and throughout the whole pandemic, except for maybe two or three weeks um, um, earlier last year, um, traveling for medical purposes and traveling for medical reasons has always been possible. And therefore our patients are fully mobile they are, the doctors are fully accessible even today, yesterday, um, and tomorrow. And um, you know what? Um, patient demand has been, has been increasing over time. So, you know, and I think the reason for that is, is that number one, patients have had more time to reflect on themselves, on their bodies, on what they'd like to do in times of lockdown and now are willing to take action. Also, patients have quite some disposable income at this moment because they cannot, they don't get to spend it in restaurants and for other, you know, vacations. So there is also quite some money um, in the market to spend on on healthcare. And um, 
and, and, and last but not least, traveling is quite um, affordable at the moment as well. I mean, you can get a business class flight from London to Turkey for around 200 euros at the moment because, you know, the, the, the demand is so low. So there are many, many reasons why people are deciding to go for treatment at the moment. And th those kind of overlay effect leads to us running and being up and running um, with our business and um, growing quite nicely um, over the past few months again. Um, so, yeah, I'm not trying to romanticize this. Also, you know, I would wish that this pandemic is over as soon as we can. And hopefully, you know, the vaccines will come in soon. So don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, you know, make it sound great. But um, at the same time, we are not we are not suffering as much as you might think when you look at us from the outside. All right, yeah, that's that's good to hear. So, um, final question uh, for you: um, your top learning for founders in the healthcare industry, especially uh, regarding go-to-market strategy um, and, and marketing in that environment, what would that be? I mean, you know, I'm biased because I have a B2C company and I, uh, I kind of, we, we work with patients directly. I think what is really important about go-to-market and especially healthcare is figure out what your business model is, who is going to pay you and who's going to pay for what you, you know, bring to the market. And I think, and again, you know, I, I'm not trying to be universally right, but in my opinion, When you have a product where you have to rely on other people marketing that product to your end consumer. So what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes you have um, a therapeutical product. You need, you require doctors to prescribe in order to get this to your end consumer. Or you are working with health insurances and they're the bottleneck for you to get to the market. I think there you really have to have a strong level of convincing that this is going to work in the speed or yeah in, in 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 the time frame you want it to do i'm not saying it's not possible but in my experience you know working with somebody else who has to do the marketing and the sales for you can really put your can put you back in your timeline and kind of i think that's That's something I've been thinking about a lot before I started Cuno Medical. And for me, it was clear that I didn't want to rely on doctors or on health insurances or anyone else to bring my product to the market. And that was one of the main reasons we went for um, B2C, not saying, you know, this is universally right. But yeah, that's that's usually the, the main question I, I ask founders on what their business model is and how they're going to kind of, you know, get to the end consumer. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you're in the, especially if you're dealing with the public healthcare system, then it's always very, very slow and um, you need probably a longer run yeah. on, on that than if, if you're kind of, um, yeah, independent of, of that in the industry. Yeah, I mean, you know, the markets are huge there as well. So I'm not saying don't go for it, but really account for the time and the energy and the cost that comes with it to get there. And I think that's often underestimated. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Thank you, Sophie, for being with us today and for sharing your insights. And many thanks uh, to our audience for listening in. 
We are releasing our Founders Podcast every Friday, so follow us on Spotify or any other podcast app to get the newest episode. Thank you, Sophie, and all the best to you. Stay healthy. Thanks. You too. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating. Thanks, guys.